Sal Berry, and Tim Parrish. This is the Puck Junk Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Puck Junk Hockey Podcast. I'm Sal Berry and along with me is Tim Parrish. And we're joined today by Greg Cohn, the Vice President of Product Development at Leaf Trading Cards. Greg works on all of Leafs multi-sport and hockey brands, as well as chipping in his expertise on the baseball and football prospect sets. He has worked with Leafs since 2013. Prior to that, he worked at Upper Deck for nine years. And for nine years before that, he ran his own sports card shop. So, Greg, thank you for joining us today. And I want to start with a question that I always like to start with when meeting a new card person. And if that's if you can tell us about the first time you remember buying sports trading cards. Sure. I was uh, nine years old, I believe, living in the San Fernando Valley, where I grew up most of my life. I spent and uh, just a local liquor store. I remember it was called the Vendome Liquor Store. And back then, I think they were 25 cents a pack. And that just kind of got me hooked. It was a 78 Tops baseball, I believe. And I had trading cards prior to that from my older brother who would always have them around. So I knew what they were, mostly football at that time. But that was my first kind of opening pack experience, which just led to everything for me so then i did start doing shows after that you know in the local area at temples and parks or wherever they had them when i was 14 15 and then uh when i was in my early 20s uh, i opened up a store in the san Fernando valley which is still there by the way my old partner when i went to work for upper deck bought me out and the store is still great it's called cardboard legends in the san Fernando valley so what was it though that made you decide because every young person or older person whenever somebody decides to buy something there's a little bit of thought process involved in it. For me, it was, honestly, it was because the other boys my age were collecting baseball cards. What was your thought process as as that nine-year-old boy back well, then? Probably my older brother's uh, influence, because, you know, he, we played, if you've ever heard of Stratomatic Baseball, mm-hmm. um, we played that a lot as a kid. So I played against him a lot. And back then, you couldn't just see baseball on every channel. There wasn't all every game on. It was, you know, you have to get lucky to get the Saturday, you know, Tony Kubek and uh, Joe Garagiola game or maybe a local game, you know, Vince Scully in Los Angeles. So I kind of, I guess I wanted to uh, put pictures to the Stratomatic cards and see what they were look, you know, these players looked like and um, the players I saw on TV, because I, I was hooked on sports all my life. Even at nine years old, I was addicted. So it was, I guess, just a natural progression when I saw baseball cards in the store. I saw my brother always had them, but never in pack form. He always brought them home, opened them somewhere else and whatever. So I was intrigued and, and that just kind of started from there. So you are the vice president of product development. So why don't you give the listeners an idea of what that job entails? Because it probably means a lot of things, especially since Leaf is a uh, a somewhat smaller company, which probably means that you have to wear many hats and do many things. That's true. Uh, for me, it goes everywhere from concept of the products to building the checklists, to helping pick photos, to the finances of the product, to in a lot of cases, helping get some of the deals done with some of the athletes. But the, my favorite part of it all to, is the concepts and the themes and the schematics and building the checklists for all the products to, you know, for hockey, it didn't come naturally to me because I didn't grow up as a hockey fan. When I worked at Upper Deck, I did mostly football and baseball. So when I got to Leaf and we had the purchase of In the Game back in 2014, I had to bury myself in different hockey books. I mean, I knew hockey as a casual fan. You know, everyone knows Gretzky, Lemieux, Yager, and that kind of stuff, you know, Marcel Dion growing up. Mm -hmm. But I had to really involve myself to get intimate with the history of the game, especially because we were a historical hockey company at Leaf, you know, with our vintage stuff. So I had to get acquainted with players from pre-war and 
60s and 70s, and I just read a lot, and it went from there. But yeah, I, you're right. I, I wear many hats in the company that go away from, I guess I'd say it's from the beginning, from concept to birth, mm -hmm. uh, overseeing pretty much every aspect of the, of the product, even in, as far as packaging. I, I kind of have an, a say in how I want it to look and how I want it to feel. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, having that much influence over something, that's definitely something that's exciting. One other question I want to ask. I mean, I'm going to have a ton of questions, and Tim has a ton of questions, too. Sure. Um, and I'm going to throw it over to him in a minute. But I just want to ask, because so you had to educate yourself on, on hockey in a hurry. That reminds me of when I got into hockey at 14. And like you said, you know, you couldn't just see things on TV all the time that you liked. And so it hit me hard and I became obsessed with the sport. And one thing I did is I went to my library and I checked out all the books I can check out. So I'm just wondering if you had a favorite book, whether it was a player biography or like a history book or just a book that really stands out to you since you had to do a lot of reading and, and catching up at a later point in your life. Sure. I think one of them was, I think it was called Hockey Night in NHL. It was mostly about the era from right when uh, the new teams came into the league in the, you know, in the late 60s mm -hmm. up until the end of the 70s. So it kind of went through the birth of the the Flyers dynasty up into the Islanders dynasty um, in that era range, so to speak, you know, with the Montreal dynasty mixed in there. I felt that was the best era for me to go into. There's only so much you could learn about going back in Vezina and Tony Thompson and players like that. But I wanted to learn more about some of the, the era that I grew up in. Mm -hmm. um, I read a book about the seals, which I thought was great. Fantastic. It's a book that was out a couple years ago. Great book. So those two are the main ones I got into. And then it was basically just quant hockey. Have you heard of that website? Yes. Yeah. I went through that one up and down for stats and, his, and history and, and comparisons, hockeyreference.com. Give me an idea of what players were similar, uh, what players, uh, you know, in the same eras. To, so when I do a, let's say an eight player card, I want to make sure I get guys that are at least similar or played in the same era or Team Canada versus Russia, something like that. So I, you know, I did a lot of research on some of the more the Olympic stuff. But my favorite era just turned out to be the 70s, basically, which is my favorite era for most sports. Mm -hmm. But uh, I just loved reading about the Montreal and how great. I think it was the 77 Canadians are so dominant. And Dryden was so dominant in that, in that stretch. And about how uh, fast Philadelphia went from an expansion team to a dynasty. Mm -hmm. um, I found intriguing. Um, so I was kind of hooked on on learning about that stuff, and it, it helped me along the way. What reading these books doesn't help you much with is pronunciation of these names. Um, <laughs> I remember for the for the longest time, I kept calling Jockman Gia Coleman until, you know, Jeremy, who has the, you know, the big hockey guy in Canada, has his last name, escapes me, um, kept correcting me at different times. So it took that took a while. I was correct today because we just got to deal with the first time with Vincent Dampfus, and I Damp kept saying Dampfus. He was uh, damp house when I was a kid. Damn, yeah, it, I, it doesn't look like that. When, when you read books, you don't, it, unless you've been growing up hearing these names pronounced, it's hard to, you know, some of these names, some are easier, but, you know, some of the names look, are a little tricky. I remember when I had my store, uh, we would ha watch our customers open hockey products. We'd open some hockey products, and uh, it would be interesting to see some of these names back in the, you know, the mid-90s. Afina Granoff, I think, is a name. I, I for some reason I remember that name. Oh yeah, Maximus Finneganoff. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But I loved it. Uh, Kabi Bulin. Just some of these great names you don't get in any other sports. But it, that posed a challenge to me because I didn't grow up hearing these names on the radio or on television watching hockey. So that was a challenge. But it was a fun challenge, you know. But I, just any anything I can read, read, you know, the advantage of you know of learning now is you have the internet everywhere, so you can look up the history of hockey and different eras and comparisons and 
some rivalries. I love doing rivalries and some of the inserts. So, uh, but those two books I just loved. Hockey Night in Canada, I think it was called. Fantastic mm-hmm. book. Usually when we have somebody on the show, uh, especially somebody that's new to the show, not a repeat guest, we like to kind of get to know them a little bit and get some background history on them. And I know Sal probably reached out and, and let you know that we were going to have you on to talk about some of the Leaf products and stuff. And we'll sure. get to that. We'll get to that in a second. But uh, I, I see on Twitter your handle is uh, Scooby Cub. And how do you grow up in California and become a Cubs fan? You got to explain that. I was born in Chicago. Oh, okay. What right. part? Um, Skokie. Illinois. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. We moved out here when I was no, out here. I'm in Dallas now, but we moved to California. I was about five. Mm-hmm. But I Cub fan for life. Um, Bears fan yeah. for life. I mean, my favorite athlete of all time was probably Walter Payton. Oh, yeah. Sure. Um, so that's, that's, that's the safe answer. It's just I grew up loving, you know, like that was my first experience with an athlete. You know, my then my favorite baseball player became Ryan Sandberg mm-hmm. uh, in my junior high years and uh, high school years. Uh, but, yeah, I was born in Chicago, Skokie, Illinois, uh, moved out when I was young. And I go back all the time. Obviously, for the national, I go back, it seems like, every other year. Um, but, yeah, that's how I became a Cub fan. Scooby's just silly, but I was I was born in 1969. That's the year Scooby-Doo came out. So That was going to be the second part of my question is, where does the <laughs> Scooby part come from? Is that your favorite cartoon? <laughs> so you talked about uh, the back, a little bit of background in your collecting, and uh, you did mention about your store in California. So I got to ask, you probably have some crazy experiences about owning and running a store. What's the biggest card that came through the shop back then that you may have bought or pulled from a pack or something of that nature, if you could remember. Well, I remember the, the, at the time, which I thought was the biggest, Upper Deck had a program, I want to say it was around 90, maybe 99, where they did Jordan box top and about, crossed about six of their basketball products. So it was this Jordan's bonus pack. And on one of them, I pulled an autograph number to five. Wow. Uh, at that time, that was massive. I can't remember what we, we ended up trading it to someone. That was the first one. And the second one's an, an interesting story because right when we first opened the store, I had pulled a uh, out of '93 Upper Deck, I believe, maybe '94, um, the Griffey Mantle dual autograph from Upper Deck. Oh no way! You guys remember that card? Yes. And here's the sto- crazy story about that is, I ended up trading it to a customer who pulled a redemption out of Wild Card back then, and the redemption was for. Every card wild card made that year. Every card. So I trade that to him. I ended up oh at the store. We sold that card for a huge amount of money. Then a year later, wild card went under. And I, I'm hoping, I never saw the guy again. I'm hoping he was able to redeem it. Yeah. Um, but that's, that's a long time ago. But that card to me, when I pulled that mantle, uh, I believe it. I almost remember it was one in about 79 cases. Because there was a few versions. There was mantle only. There was Griffey only. Then there was the duel. And I pulled the duel. Yeah, those are impossible. I don't know that I've ever actually seen one in person. Maybe once at a, at the National. No, that was a great card. Shops back then, shops today, same thing. People always come in, hey, buy my collection, buy my collection. What's the one thing that you let walk out the door that you regret buying? Not like, buying. Like they came in and they not said, buying. I wanted to sell you this, and you're like, ah, I'm not going to do it. Oh, boy. You know what? Back then it was probably... You know, pre, let's say when grading didn't quite take off, we had so many people walk in with um, wonderful 50s and 60s vintage cards, but uh, that wasn't really our thing. Now I look back and wish we bought a ton of it. I know we had people walk in with uh, various 50s mantles and uh, complete sets from 57 tops. 
But back then, if you remember the 90s, the 90s were really about the inserts, not even right. autographs so much. There was a stretch where Hall of View die cuts, the red Hall of View die cuts were the most massive thing. And then you had, there was a, uh, a time when it was, um, when Signatures first came out, remember how popular uh, Signature Series was from Donruss or Fractal Matrix, if you guys remember the hat from, uh, oh, yeah. it was all for us about inserts. It, it, we didn't have the market and the, 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 the consumer base for the vintage stuff yet. Sure. Rating hadn't taken off yet. I just remember some of the like, people walking in with their folders, you know, they still had them in their notebooks mm-hmm. and it was just fifties and sixties and seventies, just great stuff. I'm like, ah, we're looking for nineties inserts. So silly to think about that now, but I, I regret turning down. I remember a guy walked into our store with tons of unopened wax from the seventies and eighties. I know there was a couple of Jordan boxes in there. And at those, at that time there were about a, I want to say maybe 60 a pack, which for them was still pricey. Yeah. But you look back and you think, Oh, I can't spend that, and, and uh, I could retire on this stuff now. But so I've heard interviews you've done in the past. I don't think one recently, but I, I think I remember hearing you tell a story about a time when uh, uh, Mike Phillips went from Fleer over to Upper Deck, and you were brought in to kind of add some flair to the company. So my question is, what makes you decide to give up working for yourself? in your own business with your own company and go to work for the company that invented the hologram? You know, I asked myself that question plenty of times. Um, sometimes I don't like <laughs> it's my a answer, good question, like, right? <laughs> but at the time I had the store for almost 10 years to go back a few years before that in 97, I believe it was Mike Phillips. When he worked at FLIR, I, he flew me out to FLIR a bunch, about eight different store owners just to get ideas and talk about, you know, what, change we'd like to see that kind of stuff so that was a, the precursor i guess to my upper deck going to work for them phillips went the, to upper deck the industry summit before it existed more or less yeah yeah and this is over in Fleer in you know new jersey philadelphia area sure. so then he would call me ask me how i felt about certain things and i'd give him advice you know things like that i remember this is before patches were even existing and we talked about you think people would want because they used to throw patches away mm. it's like ah oh, you know there's no reason that and we talked about that they came up with the first patch product we talked stuff like that so then he called me one day and said, would you be interested in coming to work for us? We need a new football product manager. And this is late 2003, I believe. And at first I said no. But then I thought about it and said, you know what? I'm, I don't want to be that guy who says I could do better and I could make changes and then not do it. That's cowardly to me. So I talked at that time, now my ex-wife, we talked about it and said, you know what? What could be worse about living in Carlsbad? Uh, working for a company, having that security about it and seeing if I could do some things better than they are doing now. And I took the shot. Um, and it worked out for me. It worked out for my partner because he's doing great. He's still in business. There are times when I thought about going back into it again. But, you know, it's stressful at times. You know, the industry is up and down. And sure. like now everything's great. But back in those days, it was stressful. We were lucky. We were pretty good right off the bat, our store. But it doesn't always work out that way. You're reliant on the companies giving you a, you know, direct account and getting enough product and i wanted to see if i can do better and you know sometimes you can do better sometimes you see how that's what i try to tell people it's harder than it looks um to go when you when you say to a company from the outside when you go to a distributor meeting and they yell at you and say you need to put more content in and you do this and that and you need to make it better and then you go actually try to do it it's not so easy because you've got timing you've got overhead you've got margins you have to hit um, sure. Dealing with the athletes isn't always easy because then redemptions happen. You, you know, you shouldn't have redemptions and becoming creative because you try, you know, there's only so much you could do on a two and a half by three and a half little card. You could put all the technology and substrates you want on it, but 
pretty much if it's if it can be done, it has been done to a, a, a trading card. So you have to try to find ways to get creative and be fresh. And so it's harder than it looks, you know, when when, when people I thought the same thing and I got there and said, well, this is not easy. It could be pressurized, but I loved every minute of it. So I was glad I made that jump. Sure. And I appreciate the candor on that because uh, you're right. Well, you started it off by saying that's that's a tough question. And then you ask yourself it all the time, you know, switching jobs, especially one where you had the autonomy of of doing your own thing to then go to work and have other responsibilities, top and bottom, to kind of go through. Um, sure. You know, and, and you didn't really report to yourself. And, you know, if you yeah. want to close the store and go to Las Vegas, you did it. Sure. Um, I want to close now and just go to las vegas right. but um now i will say where i am now i have a lot more freedom than where i was before you know product's more of a structured corporate type environment sure. um leap is like you say we're, we're growing so it's gotten bigger brian gray the ceo of our company pretty much looked to him when they, when they hired me he said i trust you do your thing well and that that kind of sort of segues in my my chronological thing here that i've that i've been moving in is you know as big as the hobby is it's small you know yes. there's personalities and there's people and, and there's things that have been around for a long time and they just kind of circle around and it, it there's a bunch of concentric circles like a venn diagram and they're all connected you know it's the olympic rings of the hobby um, but i've heard you know stories about you know when richard mcwilliam was in charge of upper deck and he used to bring other competitors maybe not competitors necessarily but other people and bring them in for consulting and ask them questions and try to get ideas and various things and you know i heard that brian used to go in a lot uh kind of like back when he was when he owned razor but you were always like when you were at upper deck you were kind of protective of the upper deck product from that standpoint i think and vocal about it oh yeah and about what brian used to do with upper deck products and for lack of a better word just hijacking them and repurposing for the his own benefit yes. um and uh i guess how the heck do you end up going from upper deck one of the largest companies in card manufacturers with you know at the time you were there five six hundred employees maybe to work well, no, for when i started there was about 600 employees when i left there was less than half that okay mm -hmm. well even then it 300 600 doesn't matter you go from there to leaf which has 15 20 how many you yeah. got there less than I mean, that when i started yeah so brian's stealing our product and repurposing it to i'm going to go work for this guy i know he's a good salesman what was his sales pitch to get you to come over there that's funny you asked that because it's there there's a history there and it's funny to look back now but when i worked at upper deck brian actually tried to get me fired when i worked at upper deck back a while ago more reasons to not go to work for the guy <laughs> he went on the message boards and I went on one of the message boards because he was touting something. And then, you know, yeah, there was a situation where I felt this isn't creative. You're just taking this from us. And so I went, I was vocal on the boards about it. And he called, you know, I think he's still the president of the company at the Deck, Jason Majera. And he said, you got to get rid of Greg Cohn. He's disparaging me and on message boards and saying this. And Jason just kind of laughed it off because I was protective of our brands, whether it was at the time Donruss or tops now look everyone borrows ideas from everybody else you see something you, you try oh like we did i actually have a patent on you can look it up for shadow box but every company does shadow box now sure. you know it's not a secret it is i've i've learned to accept it 10 years ago i wasn't so accepting of it so i would go on the message boards and i'd be a little vocal sometimes brian was the brunt of that fast forward to when myself and others higher ups are productive stopped seeing eye to eye 
we'd lost some licenses and you know if this thing's in you know my end of my tenure besides doing sports i was doing the hello kitty and i was doing thomas the train all this other stuff awesome so it was time for me you know i've been there almost 10 years time for me to go Brian and I had already kind of amend, made amends a little bit. A couple, uh, at the, the national the year before he, I, I left Upper Deck, he came up to me and said, hey, I just want to you know, I think you're doing a great job. If you ever became available, I'd love to have you. And I said, laughed it off and said, never going to happen. I think this was a 2009 national, I believe. No, no, actually, I'm sorry. It was 2010 national. I want to say Baltimore. You know, I, I forgot about that. And then when I left Upper Deck in 2013, I went on Twitter and said, my, you know, hey, I just want to let you know my time at, um, at Upper Deck's done. I had a great time there. It's time to move on. And I got calls from a lot of the companies, but Brian called me. The first one to actually call me on the phone said, Greg, you know, enjoy your time. See your kids hang out. Don't make any decisions till you call till I talk to you on the phone again over the weekend. It was Friday. Then he called me again on the following Monday and said, I want to fly out here. I want to talk to you. So I said, why not? I was, I was intrigued. He flew me out to Dallas. We talked. It was great. Turns out, him and I are a lot more alike than you might think um, in terms of our passion. Because, you know, one thing about, you know, our passion, Brian, you think he's just this guy out there, used car salesman, yelling and screaming and, you know, but he, he's the largest personality in the room, right? He, yes. And he, but he actually cares about our products. He cares about value and, and, and he wants, he's he actually a big teddy bear, believe it or not. You know, and he cares about the industry. He loves it. This is his life. But you don't know that when you're working for a competitor and you're seeing someone that you think is, trying to work off your hard work and make his easier and you get mad. But when you talk to him, you understand, okay, there's some things here that maybe he needs to refine. Maybe I need to refine. Sure. I'm not perfect. He wasn't perfect. I wasn't, I could, I'm, I'm definitely not as vocal probably as I was back in my upper deck days. So I interviewed there. Uh, he offered me a job. He said, listen, we'd love to have you. We're trying to grow. We, we think you'd be good to help us build our brands. At the time they didn't have a lot, they were smaller, so they didn't have that many brands yet. They didn't really have an identity. And I thought, this is a great challenge. Had some discussions with some of the other companies. And I thought to myself, do I want to get back into that whole corporate thing again? You know, my first five years at Upper Deck was fantastic. Couldn't believe it. Went to three Super Bowls, went to all-star games. It was a, a dream. But as the business changed and Upper Deck changed and people left and it just got really stressful. So I said to myself, you know what? Let's see what I could do here. Another challenge like leading my store again. Um, let's see if I can uh, help build this company up because Brian did a great job already starting it off. And, you know, he said to me, you're the exactly the kind of thing I think we need. And it just went from there. Then right six months after I started, I worked remotely, stayed in California. Then we started getting bigger. Then we bought in the game. And he said, you got to move here because we're getting too big. I need you to be here. And that was a, a difficult change for me going, you know, but now I end up, I love it here. Frisco, Texas, love it. Awesome. So that's kind of how it happened. It, it just morphed into this. I, I, you know, 2010, he said, I'd love to have you come work. I'm like, I'll last off never, not a million years. Yeah. And three years later, there I was. And I decided, yeah, that's kind of where I want to be. It felt right when I went out there and talking to him and what his vision was, because he is, you know, he's got great vision. You, you know, people look at, at Leaf and you think we're a smaller company, but look at some of the stuff we've done the last 10 years. And, you know, to me, it's, it, I put it up against anybody's stuff. Licensed or unlicensed, people want to call us unlicensed, but um, I'll put our stuff up against anyone. And you know we're still growing. And look, look at the deals we're getting. We, there's no one that out. There's Brian, he calls me every day and says, "We just got Aaron Rodgers. We just got John Elway. We just got Kevin DeBrine. We just got Messi in." I mean, we get more autographs across every sport. Big names. He'll he'll go out and get any name I ask him to if he can get it. That makes it easier to build these products. But yeah, it, it didn't look likely at one point in my product tenure, but. 
it's funny now. I've almost been at Leaf as long as Upper Deck. Yeah. Do you talk to Brian every day? I mean, is he pretty hands-on with the production process as well? Or Every day. He's, every day? Uh, every day. He's, I mean, if I could show you my text, it's eight times a day. Come see me. Come see me. Come see me. Come see me. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, he's hands-on. He wants to know what's going on. You know, like I say, he trusts everyone in the building. But, he, you know, wants to know what's going on. He wants to have an idea uh, if we're doing the right thing in the products. And we're, we, we talk about the products every day before we finalize stuff. And um, he has his pet projects. He, he loves doing Pop Century's his baby. Always has been. It's by far the celebrities the popular, celebrity autographs celebrity and stuff. Yeah. On the market. That's his baby. He doesn't let anyone touch that. Even Because, like I said, with my products, hockey, I'm the one who has to go out and, besides doing all this, another one of the things I have to do is go pick the mem out. So I have to get all the mem ready to go get it cut. If there's special mem, I have to sit there and, and, and identify, I want this patch on this card. I want this skate on this card. This tag has to be for this. So uh, it's, it's most more hands-on than I ever did. In Upper Deck, it was basically I just did the schematics and the themes and the form costing, and someone else did the checklist, and someone else picked the photos. and so, you know, They have levels at every station. We don't have that at Leaf. We have, you know, we're a smaller knit group, so you have to wear a lot of hats. So you brought you, you brought up that you have to go pick the memorabilia. In my mind, I see this warehouse of jerseys hanging in various stages of disintegration. Um, you know, there's new ones over here that are fully intact, and then there's ones that look like just basically sports bras up to that point, and then there's ones that are just shoulders barely clinging to life on a hanger. So that's 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 the image in my head. How many pieces, like if you were to take a jersey, how many pieces will a jersey tend to yield when it's put into production for use in, a, in cards? Well, that's a good question. It depends on what you're doing with that jersey. So, Because every jersey we cut to different sizes. One and a half inch swatches, sure. 0.75 inch swatches, uh, 5.0, 2 point, you know, some larger swatches. Um, if you cut every patch to a to a one inch by one inch, you'd probably get 125 patches. Hockey yields more patch, just more stuff sure. going on. But you're close. I mean, when I get new jerseys, they usually come in a bag, and I have my new stuff ready to go, and I'll tag them. The old stuff, we, we send it out, they come back in a white box where it's pretty cut up, and I'll let the person who's cutting it know exactly how I want to cut. Don't cut the nameplate. Don't cut the NHL logo or the NBA logo. That's saved for a future job. I want this many patches, and he tells me I can only get you this many patches. But a normal jersey, like a hockey jersey, you get over 100 patches, let's say in an one inch and a couple thousand uh, jersey swatches or more. And you have the fight straps, the buttons, you know, the tags I, I separate. Football jerseys is, are, are a little different because the patches aren't as some of the teams have, like the Colts have barely any patch. And uh, the jerseys, because the players don't want to be held, are a lot tighter and a lot smaller uh, than a hockey jersey. Sure. Uh, so every sport's got different yield. You know, bats yield about 2,000, 2,500 bat pieces. Hockey sticks less because in hockey, you're dealing with a lot of the graphite sticks are hollow inside. So you're not getting any inside pieces. Wood sticks, you get inside pieces. So wood stick will yield a lot. Anything metal or, holo- or, or, or graphite sticks in hockey, it's that, that's when, like, I mean, whenever you get a Sidney Crosby stick, I have to be careful how much I use it because you're not getting a lot of yield out of that. Plus, we use larger pieces. So graphite sticks tend to just not yield enough, and you know that's that's tricky. But everything it all depends on what it all depends on what job I'm doing it for, what size I want my swatches. It varies. I feel like you're reading my notes here somehow because I have a question on here about the hockey sticks, <laughs> about whether or not 
you know, pieces from like newer composite sticks or graphite, for example, like because Lumber Kings is a big, a big product for leaf and older wooden sticks. I could imagine you can just cut and cut and cut and cut and you have good some old guys, time with some them. guys. Um, it's funny. I think Bobby Clark and who was the Canadians guy in the 60s and 70s? Yvonne. Cornway. Cornway. Yes. His, he's got the smallest stick. It's almost like a stick they give away at the stadium. Every time we get one of his souvenir. sticks, the tiniest thing. So have you got, you know, different sticks. Uh, uh, certain players, Lemieux has a large stick. Ray Bork, large stick. Sure. Um, so we get a lot of yield out of that. Some guys have smaller sticks. But, yes, the, the, I love getting the wood sticks in because I know I'm going to have plenty of yield. Whenever I get a Crosby stick or a Malkin stick, it's like, oh, man, I got to be careful where I use this guy because there's no, there's, the inside's hollow. Sure. And it's a, little, it's a little difficult to cut. They charge a little more to cut the graphite sticks because it's a little tougher for them to cut. It tears up their blade a little bit. So uh, it's also difficult to cut from any era uh, blades. And I love using the blades on a hockey stick. But there's this lacquer stuff on some of the old guys like Makita and Hull. This coating they put on the sticks back in those days makes it tough to cut. Yeah, I prefer the wood sticks. Just get more yield. It's like the, that's that fiberglass yeah, yeah. I mean, that they put different. on top of. But I've done top. in most of my Lumber Kings hockey or stick work hockey blades. So you can see that when you see the blades. The oversized have to be uh, super thick cards or else they'll bow. Right. That's interesting because, you know, a lot of people don't think about that. And, you know, memorabilia cards have become so passe because everybody expects it to be there and it's been right. around for so long and you know the plain white swatch is always the thing like oh i spent how much money on this and this is all i got and you know leaf's always been in most of the products okay you want a plain white swatch well here it is but it's five inches <laughs> it's like the entire card and it's this giant right. thing and so it always i always wonder you know it's a lot of money to pick up you know memorabilia i mean we're we're more than aware of that we've talked to other manufacturers that you know what costs are on things and we understand you know from that standpoint that there's a lot of money that goes into picking up you know that kind of thing if when you're out there do you do you actually go out and do the obtaining or tracking it down or do you you know you're more of the intake and what are we going to do with this piece once you get it well usually brian will go through all the auction houses or he, someone who calls with a deal and call me and say, do we want this? Do we want that? And we go over the list together and he'll make offers on it or make you know, bid on, you know, heritage auction or any of the different auctions that stuff comes up. Sure. And we'll figure out together what we think the price should be. I mean, we've bought stuff from, you know, we got an amazing assortment of memorabilia, obviously when we bought in the game from Brian, Dr. Price. Sure. But we've also bought some of Dr. Price's private collection too. Uh, the stuff he didn't want to sell when he uh, sold his company. And, we bought from other private collectors from the, some of the biggest. We bought actually at the, I want to say it was eight years ago at the uh, Toronto Expo. We paid $75,000 for a Gordie Howe gamer. And mm -hmm. in an auction, we paid 50000 I think, for a, a Bobby Orr gamer. And the thing about those are, is there's not a lot of patches in those old jerseys. The honest truth is, you don't really, as a product guy, when you see a Bobby Orr or a Gordie Howe single swatch jersey or sell for $19, let's say, it makes me cringe inside because you're not getting the value of what you paid for that jersey because jersey cards have lost so much value. Now, I've tried to maneuver ways to make give more value. Like with a six, I do, if you notice, we do a lot of six and eight swatch cards sure. with like some white, some red, a little patch here and there. That, to me, adds value um, because it looks like there's more going on. Those cards tend to sell more. So I see a lot of Gordy six and eights sell for $40, 50 60 
Same with Bobby Orr, you know, because we're the only ones that will do Bobby Orr memorabilia because our product does, isn't allowed to per a agreement they have with Bobby Orr. So it gives us, you know, the opportunity now. It's, we, we, we'll still go out and buy as many jerseys as we can. Brian loves to, you know, I think in the last week or so, we acquired a Carey Price jersey. We actually acquired the jersey that um, Justin Timberlake wore in Love Guru. Oh, no. King's Jeez. jersey. So you're going to see that coming up. That's going Justin in Pop Timberlake's going to have an NHL logo. Yeah. You said it's going in Pop Century? No, no that'll I've... actually go in superlative hockey coming out later oh, this year. Superlative, all right. Bringing up Love Guru and talking about Justin Timberlake, I hated that movie. I watched it. I suffered through it. Terrible movie. But he was hilarious in that movie. His character is the French-Canadian goalie who's having an affair with the guy's wife. I mean, he was just so... He was so great in that role. I mean, when I tell people, hey, there's this hockey movie, and it has Stephen Colbert and Jim Gaffigan, and John Oliver, and even Daniel Tosh is in it. And then, yeah, and Justin Timberlake plays a wisecracking French-Canadian goalie. And then there's even, like, little bit appearances by Bob Probert, who plays, like, one of the kings, right? Like, oh, but then Mike Myers wrote it and starred in it, and it's terrible, right? Like, it's just, but a Justin Timberlake Kings jersey, that's, you got, there are going to be other Love Guru players in that, too, or just? That's the only one we have. It was the white Kings jersey, and uh, it's uh, – I'll actually, if you want, I'll send you a picture of it tomorrow. I saw it. We haven't had Absolutely. it I don't think I sent it off anywhere. I might have, though. I have to see because we're having Pearl Hockey cut right now, so I sent Superlative over to get cut, too. Pearl Hockey is our next big hockey product. Tell and, us about that. Well, it's in production now. ProSet Memories Hockey might beat it out to the, because it's just got less involved. Pearl Hockey with the pearls have to be pit built into the cards. We have book cards being built. Usually we have to go two or three times through the, the production process because there's acetate on both sides, you know, p clear PETG. Mm -hmm. And that scratches up a little bit, so we have to make sure it's right. So we'll go through a couple of, of runs of the sheets to make sure that the scratching is gone. So that takes time. It's a, And that's one of the products where I use the most patch. And in this year's version, there's, I think, over 70 NHL shields. Mm -hmm. We're using buckles from, that'll be numbered up to three, of Vezina, Tiny Thompson, Cheevers, Wah, Brodeur, you know, the buckles off the pads. Big, the cards will be, I can't even tell you how thick they're going to be to get that buckle in there. The cut signatures in there range from, I think, Kennedy. We have a Putin cut in there. Uh, <laughs> as we know in Pearl, we have cuts that go from everywhere from hot, not just sports, but history and celebrity and in science everywhere. Prince might have a cut in there this year. It's just, so you get a cut in every box. And it's just something we're looking forward to. And I did a 16 signed book card this year, 16 different players. There might be 16 Con Smythe winners, 16 uh, Hart winners, 16. Uh, I think there's one that's got eight Toronto and eight Montreal guys assigned on it. So Pearl's going to be massive this year. You know, it's our biggest one. And then Pro Set Memories will come out after that. In that product, I'm excited because we got some signers like Koi we've never had before. We have uh, another guy's name pronounced. The number one pick, I think, is in 93. Alexander Daig. 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 Okay, I just want to make Yes, we got his autograph. When's why? last time I signed? South says why. I just, uh, I had to have him for this product because it's a nostalgic product. So I'm thinking, I'm going to go find this guy. And we found him. So it's got some names we haven't had signed for us. Uh, another guy. How do, okay, um, Mark Recky or Recky? Recky. It's Recky. Recky, he's okay. A, he's a Hall of Famer. He, we haven't had him signed for us before. He's signed. He's going to be in this product. You know, obviously with the names like Sackick, Yager, Lemieux, 
Gordie Howe, you know, uh, Bobby Hull in there, it looks like, and Dominic Bobby Hasek Hull, and Mark um, Messier. Gilmore. Uh, yeah, so it's it's loaded up with all the guys you'd expect, but some new signers for us, which we're excited about. So in hockey, actually, there's not that many guys that to get anymore that are willing to sign. You know, Korea won't sign, hmm. um, Dryden won't sign. Uh, we can't obviously get Orr, Gretzky, or Waugh anymore. So we were scouring for names that haven't had autographs in a bit. Curious that Paul Korea would not sign because he seemed Korea hasn't, wide. Korea hasn't signed in a while. He hmm. is less interested than Dryden. That's how yeah. much he doesn't want to sign. Wow. Because Dryden is like infamously not interested. Infamously, in... yes. He has no interest. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've heard so, stories from people right. about trying to get Dryden to sign at a show, to sign for an event, to sign for a, a company that resells autographs, to sign. Ryan's reached cards. out to him, offered just tons of money to go to the charity he wants, whatever it is, and just no interest. Um, same you, with Korea. So, did you work at Upper Deck when they put out the Century Legends set in '99? No, that was about four years before me. He was supposed to have a card in that set, and they pulled the card. Right. Um, some trickled and, out. Some trickled. Yeah, and I have one, and I'm proud. Tell anybody right. who I'll just tell stop random people on the street and be like, you know that Ken Dryden Century Legend cards that had a CMYK test pattern printed on the front. Right. Well, I have one, and they'll be like, what? But, but uh, yeah, so he's kind of funny that, like, they That's made almost a... never an accident, by the way, just to let you know. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, Accidentally on purpose? Yeah. Yeah. Because I've heard that Upper Deck will buy him back. Somebody emailed me, and I'm not going to name names, but somebody emailed me and said that they had one and that Upper Deck, like, offered them a very big trade because they couldn't buy it, but they were willing to trade a lot of product for it. And, um... And then another person that well, that's he a nice knew. story because now they're adding value to the card. So I'm sure they're going to do that. Well, I guess they just valuable. Well, but I guess they just wanted to like bring them back in and destroy them for some reason. But maybe not. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. If well, I, I learned it's... anything from watching American Pickers, it's if you can come up with the story behind it, you increase the yes. price 20 percent. <laughs> no, it's a great story, but that's how it is. But anyway, uh, getting back to Pro Set, because I'm really excited about this. I loved Pro Set hockey cards. I still love Pro Set hockey cards. I call myself a Pro Set apologist, but I feel like there's nothing to apologize for because people will be like, Pro Set had so many errors. And I'm like, yeah, whatever. So did 81 Donruss Baseball. So did a million other things, right? The original Pro Set, just a little FYI for uh, listeners, the 1991 Pro Set was actually put out in a very short amount of time. I read somewhere it was like maybe four months. I mean, they got the license in like spring and it came out like the end of summer. I mean, I remember buying 9091 Pro Set in like late summer, like or early fall, right? When it was still hot enough outside that, you know, you'd put on your air conditioning in your car. Um, and, you know, my dad driving us back from the card shop and me sitting in the back seat opening up packs of 9091 Pro Set Series 1. And then even like that was like the first time where like my mom would give me lunch money and I would like buy like as little lunch as possible. And then I would take the money that I didn't spend at the end of the week and I'd buy hockey cards and I'd probably go more towards pro set than the other brands. So I love that. I mean, I loved seeing some of the cards on 9091 hockey designs and even seeing them on the football design was kind of cool. But I think the first thing I want to ask is, well, it's kind of a two-part question. Why Pro Set? Like, why Pro Set? Why is now the time for Pro Set? 
And then also, if you can answer this or not, what did it take to resurrect the Pro-Setney with rights and stuff like that? Well, before I get to the Pro-Set story, I'll just tell you that now we just got lucky. We got lucky with the timing because what's old is new now, and Trevor Lawrence came out the right time for us. But to go back, I, I about five years ago, I went to Brian and I said, listen, I know it didn't end well, the Pro-Set company. And first of all, just to give you a story, Brian Gray's first job in the industry was with Pro-Set. He worked at Proset back in the day. Okay. And he knew Lud Denny pretty well. So I, I went to him five years, about five years ago, I think I have the email still. And I said, why don't we look in who owns the Proset name? I know it's been dormant for years. I remember bringing up Proset and Proline. Turns out the NFL still owns Proline, I believe, hmm. the name Proline. I said, I think Proset can be resurrected. I think it's got still appeal. People will remember it. And we, we found the guy who owned the name, and he wasn't interested in selling it at the time. So every couple times a year, we keep going back to the guy and say, hey, we'd really love it. To, to, to purchase name. He was like, well, I'm not ready to sell it yet. I'm, I don't know what I'm going to do with it. He was making some cards with it, some random weird cards, animal cards or something with the mm -hmm. pro set name. So about, I want to say six, seven months ago, Brian and I said, okay, let's try again. He was interested in selling. We negotiated back and forth. We got it. And I remember saying to him, it has to be now because with the hype around Trevor Lawrence and the hype the industry is going through and the nostalgic, it's the perfect timing. And it turned out we got it at the right time. We put into production that Trevor Lawrence thing right away. And we were sh just taken back by the, the response. I mean, the, everyone was saying how excited they were. And it went faster than probably we were at that time prepared in the last six months, how much we've grown because of adding ProSet to the stable um, of products. And at that point, we just said, okay, we got we to gotta, we gotta do it. We got to keep growing. So let's see what else we can do. We haven't even actually yet done a regular ProSet product. It feels that way because we put out the... Uh, Trevor Lawrence, all the rookie cards we're doing, uh, you know, sell to the website and the variations. But we haven't actually done a ProSet product yet. We have ProSet Metal Football coming out probably around, I want to say, August or September. That should be fantastic. It'll be one of our first ventures probably into some base cards along with the autos. Um, and then we got my the two coming out in the next couple of months, ProSet Memories Hockey and ProSet Multisport. And I just think that the, the timing is right now. People are looking for nostalgia, you know, um, I know OpenX got a Skybox product coming out later in the year that people are excited about. My history with this is that when I was at Upper Deck, I did Fleer Retro for basketball, I remember. Uh, I want to say it was 2012. And we didn't even make that much because we weren't sure people would get into it. And that product went crazy. And that was kind of that put a thing in my head saying, you know what? People love to remember what they collected when they were younger, when the industry was a, was a little more innocent. And when inserts meant something, when photography meant something, when errors meant something, variations meant something. So I thought this is the time. And now as far as ProSet Memories hockey goes, you know, we're buying back a bunch of old sets and cards. And we're going to stamp those with ProSet Memories stamp and get two of those a box. So I think that's going to be fun because you'll get actually see some of these cards again that you remember collecting. Well, wait, hold on. I'm going to stop you right there because I was going to bring that up. That's the one thing that stands out to me about ProSet I mean, first, I was, I was hoping that they'd be print-on-demand cards like you've been doing with the football cards. Because I'm like, okay, 5 bucks a card or 10 bucks a card is kind of pricey, but then that way I, I can get the whole set or I could buy the ones I want or whatever, right? But right. then it was like, oh, okay, it's going to be a set. Well, like in boxes, okay, well, I traditionally don't buy many Leaf products. They tend to be more expensive, and 
I'm kind of more of a set builder anyways, you know, like I want like the 200 card set or the 500 card set with all the players, but everybody likes what they like, you know, and so I definitely have respect for the, the products, even though they're not necessarily what I purchased. So then I said, okay, uh, $175 a box, two autographs. Okay, that's awesome. And I'm thinking like, okay, is there going to be like a base set to collect? And then I saw buybacks. Now, I got to tell you, you can go to Target. Well, okay, maybe not Target because they don't sell trading cards at Target anymore. Right. Because uh, some of our peers have exhibited bad behavior. I don't even know if we want to call them our peers. Um, we can just blame the Pokemon traders, right? Right. <laughs> um, not the sports guys. No, it's it was the Pokemon guys. But anyways, you can go to Walmart. You can go to the dollar store. You could buy one of those repacks that say 100 hockey cards for $5 or... Good you old know, Fairfield. 12 packs of hockey cards for $19.99 or something like that, right? And I guarantee there's going to be at least two pro set cards in there. Probably. Buybacks without right. the foil stamping. So... You could come to my house. I got about four monster boxes of 9091 Pro Set. The point is, is like, why would anybody want that? Really, honestly, this this is the one thing because $175. And I'm like, okay, two autographs. You, you, I'm interested. What else? Oh, and two cards I already own. Good question. Not a bad question at all. And I'm gonna. That was the part of the product I was a little skeptical of too. But I'm gonna tell you what it is and why I think it'll resonate. First of all, we did a product in baseball called Leaf Memories. We did the design on 90 Leaf. We bought back old 90 Leaf cards and we stamped them. Todd Stottlemyre or whoever that is, stamp number, you think, okay, people aren't going to like this. And they loved it. With Pro Set Hockey, I think why this is going to work is, first of all, you're buying it for the two autographs, with the, for the variations and all that stuff. And you're getting two buyback cards numbered, I think, five or less stamped for free. That's the way I look at it. And not everybody collected Pro Set back in the day. Not everyone even knows what Pro Set is. They're going to go to the store and they're going to buy, oh, Leaf Pro Set, cool. And they're going to get these two cards and they're going to say, whoa, what, what are these? And the guy's going to tell them, oh, these are original cards, buybacks from, you know, Topps does it with their stuff too. Mm. Now, obviously, Topps has a history going back into the 50s, but most of the stuff you get when they do, when they stamp a card is an Al Bunbury from 1979 or something like that. So my thought is they're going to see these original cards stamped and it's going to either cause someone who did collect back then to reflect and say, oh, I love these. Like, just like you talked about how much you loved it. Um, they're going to be able to buy back errors or whatever might, we might buy back and stamp. Or you're going to have someone who's never collected Pro Set before and give them their first opportunity to see these cards. So now I understand why it may not appeal to you because you understand what it is. You've purchased some of the past. You still have some in your closet. But there are a lot of people that are just getting into this industry either that haven't done this. And now they're going to see what these original cards were. Or people that did know what it is. They're buying it for the... The two autographs, they've already gotten rid of all their Pro Set stuff because, you know, back in the day, everyone said, oh, Pro Set was garbage. They were junk. It was overproduced. Mass production of the 90s. And they dumped all that stuff. They gave it to charities. They, whatever. Their parents threw them away. They moved on with their lives. Now they're seeing it again. I think they're going to think it's very cool. So it, 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 I think it's going to reignite some memories for them. Hence the name Pro Set Memories. But if even if you don't like them, I bet you anything, you know, it's, it's, it's an, a, a value add. Because if you get a Korea or a Gretzky number to three, even though it's a base card that, you know, you can go online and buy, you get it with a stamp. Now it's probably $25 a Gretzky right. or Lemieux's 20 bucks. So if you get a Lemieux in a box and let's say uh, Patrick Wall in a box and you can get $20 for that and you get your two autos, that to me is, you know, better than a regular base card of a new Paul Korea card that you're just going to get $1.50. If that makes sense. It does. Yeah. If you get Ken Reggett, a dollar maybe. 
or maybe five dollars to a Flyers fan. But if you exactly. get Mario exactly. Lemieux, like I would have the Ken Reggett card already in his collection, or or seventy of them. Right. But he doesn't have the one that's got the Pro Set Memories gold or silver or red stamp on it, and he might think, "All right, I'm going to pay five bucks for this." Because when's the last time I got a chance to buy his card? Oh man, Tim, you know what this means? I'm going to need to get one of those Bruce shoe bottoms that are numbered was, to five. Well, and I was just going to ask, did did you guys? kind of vet what you decided to use for buybacks or is this just random everything? Because... It's going to be random. So we, I know we bought a couple of complete sets back because we wanted okay. everything represented. Mm -hmm. There'll be some errors in there. We discussed and we didn't do it. At least as of this conversation, we haven't. We still have time to, if Brian and I discuss it, we discussed buying the hologram back, you know, the Stanley Cup and stamping. Good luck with that. Ooh. We could buy them. They're expensive. We'd do it. We, you know, we we wouldn't even question doing it. The problem is, it's a, a situation where do you want to buy a card back? If you stick it in there and you don't do anything to it, it it's it's not special. Right. But if you stamp it on the back. Are you people are going to say you damaged a five hundred dollar card? Yeah. Does this give it value? So we haven't done it yet. We're just not sure how to approach that. But you could buy them pretty regularly. They're there. Mm -hmm. uh, you see them on eBay quite a bit. So we thought about it and we thought no. You know, then we thought about okay, uh, we'll make our own. Obviously, we can't use the Stanley Cup. But to be honest, strange enough as it is, the technology to produce really nice holograms seems to be worse now than it was in the 90s. I believe uh, that. You know, mm. I get the story about um, how they did the uh, Holoview die cuts of Upper Deck, if you remember the 94 red Holoview die cuts, so popular. They had this guy, they had to sit the athletes in a chair and they turned. It was a great technology. That, that company doesn't exist anymore. So to do really nice holograms is not so easy. Because if you remember, if you look back on the day, the Denny's holograms, as much as people collect them, they were terrible. You could barely see the player. And some of the early holograms from some of the early products, the same thing. They weren't that great. But then they got really good in the mid-90s. Mm -hmm. um, and it's hard to duplicate that. So that wasn't realistic at this time. For right now, we're just not going to include the holograms. Because people have asked me about that. You're going to put any of the holograms in, even if you just do three of them. And we thought, well, how do you, you can hand number it. Is that different enough? You stamp it. Do you ruin it? Because they're, they're really thin cards. They're not super thick. So we haven't put those in yet. Could I yeah. offer a suggestion for that? Sure. My suggestion would be, the, for, first of all, the reason why I would offer a suggestion is because if you have those in there, you will sell twice as many because people look for these things. They buy up boxes still to this day, endless supplies of boxes that will never run out till the end of time, <laughs> looking for this hologram to unearth what hasn't been unearthed already. And yeah, they are pretty pricey. But what I would suggest is get them don't stamp the card or write on the card or do anything to the card. And if you have it and it's raw, encapsulate it in something of your own, like your own slab slab somehow. That way you can put your own branding on the slab, not damage the card. So we'll go in as a redemption then. You could either put it in as redemption or I'm not sure how you're going to pack it out, but you know, some well, of the more premium boxes pretty quickly in a slab. We're pretty quick with our, that's not a bad idea actually, you know? Yeah. I want to put it in, but then I didn't want to put it in because it was a that card's pretty revered by people. Oh yeah. And that's why I'm saying want, if you, know, you want to double your <laughs> double your audience, you'll immediately do it if they know that's in there. That's interesting. So we could do that now and we'd look, it would be good for us because we've already the products sold out in I want to say like nine minutes. Yeah. Uh, we don't make a lot of that stuff. You know, we, we we keep our volumes down compared to what's going on in the industry right now. We don't overproduce anything. Um, so that's interesting, though. I'm going to think about that. I'm going to talk to Brian about that tomorrow, actually, because it's not a bad idea. If it hasn't completely gone into full production yet. No, no, no. no. Well, even if it did, that's just a card we'd buy back. We don't have to produce it. 
Sure. Is that the slab? We have a slab machine. Either slab it like that or, you know, I know with a lot of the Leaf product, especially, I mean, I have plenty of them, the, um, the button off the, the strap. You know they don't right. fit. They don't fit in the magnet you know, put those holders. In a super thick holder. So they're well, in a super like thick one, and it's even taped. Sure, you can buy. You could buy a holder. You could buy a holder, but you don't have a slab machine available. Right. One of the issues, the challenges of this product for ProSet for us was, you know, we're we have to scrub the logos. Mm-hmm. So for us to find images that the players turn to a side, turn this way, where the sticks block is, it's not easy. We're still doing it today because we have limited access to photos. Right. Um, so that's an ongoing process of finding enough photos of these guys that makes it look good on the car. It doesn't look like a big blank pajamas top. As you know, a pro set's about imagery. It's a, it's a full bleed. All the pro sets have been, you, we can't just crop it like we do our memorabilia cards. So it's been a challenge, but we're getting close. And one of the joys of this for me was because you don't want to do purposeful errors, you know, because back then they weren't. Like you said, they rushed this thing in the production. So the errors have happened. So we're doing variations more. Like I'll have the regular card of Joe Sackick, but then the variation will be Joe Sackick's in color, the crowd and everything else is in backgrounds black and white. Mm. Or there might be some fun stuff like Gordy Howe sitting in the stands in one guy's variation. Or Richard Nixon's in the crowd in the Bobby Hull card. Or maybe the ice is blue. I got a lot of crazy variations. For Yvonne Barrett, who was the the goalie in... Um, mm, Slapshot. Slapshot. He's going to have his name on one, then he'll say owns, owns as on the other card. This is yeah. in a pro set card? Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay, so there's going to be a slap, at least one slap shot card. Just one. Breaking, breaking news. Yeah. Um, he'll be in there and uh, um, autographs. So we have some fun variations. We have some nickname variations. We have images that are different. You'll notice right away some of the image variations. Those are numbered a little lower. Those are rarer. And we're just trying to, you know, pick out some fun photography to uh, pay homage to the way it was back then and some um, variations within the card. Every card is signed. Like every every the, card assigned except the buybacks. Not the buybacks. But now let me ask you this: so the buybacks, those can show the the logos and stuff because they're buybacks, right? Yes, they're original cards. They're stream of commerce, so to speak. Gotcha. So then the other two cards are are they're they're signed. About how many cards are going to be in the set? Like, what would a checklist? You know, maybe a hundred cards or fifty cards. Like, if well, it depends was... on what you consider part of the checklist. You have the base hundred autos. Okay. You have, but you have, I think there's. We did three different years, so there's about 48. Every guy is in the same is going to have a card in each year. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we'll be a different image. I think we'll have Messier, Edmonton. Then maybe his later, the 91, 92 might have Messier, Rangers, Rangers. 93, yeah. 94, something like that. Right. Um, a couple of other guys will have Damfus will have some on Montreal. I think I have him some on Toronto, San Jose, maybe San Jose. So some guys will have some different teams they were on. They played throughout their careers. Some guys have three or four versions, and there's the multi-sign, the duels. Mm-hmm. So as far as the set goes, I, I want to say maybe if you include the variations as a different card, 300. Wow. So, I mean, so there might be like a, a 90-91, a 91-92, and a 92-93 versions of like same player, but on those different designs. Correct. Sackick, Manun Rayom, I'll have three versions. Uh Lemieux, Yager. Uh, then I have, as you saw, the, uh, the the design that has some of the older players on it. Like Gordie Howe. Gordie Howe, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, that'll, so some guys are in that set that aren't in other ones. But most of the, um, the players will be in each of the versions of the years. So now another thing that I noticed is that a lot of the cards are tending to use the 89 football design. And I'm wondering why that is. Because like when I saw that, I was like, 
cool, but not what I wanted because I like the 9091 design. You're getting that. That's in there. Yeah, but it seemed that like a lot of the cards that were teased initially were using the football design. Well, they're all in there. I mean, if you look at the sell sheet, I don't know if you've seen the sell sheet. It's, it shows them all. Okay. The reason I want to do the 89 is just because, well, first, why not? Okay. It's never existed, so that's a little fun thing. And the second is, what if it what if there was an 89 hockey? It probably would have had that design. Could um, be. So I just thought that's it's a an fair iconic point. design. People know what it is. And since we're using all the designs that they've had for hockey, why not throw that one in there? Uh, we did the same thing with Pro Set Multisport, where I did uh, the 89 design. Then I did the, the soccer design. I did the basketball design that was a prototype, never existed, hmm. but it was a prototype for it. And we did some uh, stuff I wish I actually did in hockey, but it's too late now. We did an action. That's one thing. You build a product first, then it's in production. Then you build the, the multi-sport one. I think of other things you want to do, like the action, Action Inc., which is a horizontal pro set card with uh, just great image. Like, oh, I wish I did this in hockey too. But they'll be next year. You mm -hmm. know, uh, you don't want to put everything into your soup the first. You know, you want to save some ingredients for your next soup. That so, makes sense. Got to save some things to keep people coming back for right. more. Is there a secret card in there of? Brian as head coach of the Dallas Stars? <laughs> no. Um, what we're going to probably do is um, later in the year, we'll do a Brian Gray Santa Claus card. Oh, there you go. Because you know, they had Santa Claus cards that were popular back in the, in the day on pro set football. I was um, thinking of the Lud Denny New York Giants one. Yeah, that, no, there'll be a Brian Gray around uh, out there. Uh, Santa Claus. And Brian put, I don't know if you guys noticed, uh, I'm trying to remember the player. I'm not sure if it was Trey Lance, but he yeah. put himself in the yep. stands. Right. He I put noticed that on too. His body. Um, he wanted to do it. I'm like, why not? So there, that's fun. But yeah, though, you, as we do pro set more, eventually we will do. Now there's unique designs in pro set, the, the pro set champions in hockey and in, in pro set multi sport. We have a, the Action Inc. pro set portraits, which are new designs. There will be products down the road that are completely new designs, never, you know, brand new pro set again. So, you know, we're going to do pro set platinum uh, for probably nice. both for hockey and multi sport. But there'll be new new stuff that has never existed. So we're not just going to rely on completely on nostalgia. We will have mm -hmm. brand new technology and designs that we'll use later down the road. Yeah, Platinum was one of my favorite sets from the 90s. It only lasted a year. Well, there was Platinum Football and Platinum Hockey, is, you right. know, just telling the listeners. Because um, not, not everybody who listens to this podcast has every single set and card memorized like Tim and I claim we do. But, uh, yeah, Platinum... It was very good for its time. I mean, now they wouldn't be, okay, full bleed photos, big deal. No stats on the back, but more text, big deal. Oh, another picture on the back, big deal. Like now that wouldn't really, that wouldn't really raise an eyebrow. So I, I could see what you mean about having to raise the game, raise the stakes. Like how can a card be pro set platinum and have that feeling of quality in this right. day and age, whereas, you know, 25 30 years ago it was like oh wow full bleed photos and 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 high gloss and you know oh they didn't use stats on the back that's different you know that's kind of like oh okay you know you're gonna talk about the player instead of just show numbers okay um i'd be excited for that i mean as somebody like i said as somebody who liked pro set a lot like does not strong enough of a word i was just like super excited when I saw those uh, images out on Twitter, like, oh my God, pro set hockey's coming back. And now I'm just debating, you know, cases out of my price range. I'm just debating how many boxes I'm going to buy because they look great. I mean, what I've, what I've seen, I've really liked so far. Well, the goal is to have it out by the national. We're not sure we will yet. Cause you know, they just kind of decide the nationals is on. 
So yes. we're going to see if we can get it out in time. The goal is to have that one and the pro sets multi-sport out around that time. Oh, well, that's not because originally I saw it said August 27th, but now we'd right. be looking so at July to, 25th. Uh, yes, we're trying to, we're going to try to push it up. Probably won't happen, but it'll be nice to have that out at the national along with the pro sets multi-sport. Sure. Because Pearl probably won't make it out in time. It's just too much going on, too much uh, memory to cut and technology. To, the production on that one takes a bit of time. Well, and one thing you're going to find if you haven't already found is football collectors, you know, ProSet had the football back then. I don't think football collectors are as rabid about ProSet as hockey collectors are about the ProSet product in hockey. Um, not to overshadow Sal's enthusiasm by any means, but there is there are droves and droves of hockey collectors that love ProSet to this day. There's a rabid fan base for a product that hasn't existed in 30 years. <laughs> and so when you guys drop those initial announcements, you know, we focus on hockey and hockey collectibles and hockey culture and that kind of thing. And so that's kind of right in our wheelhouse. And the people that listen to our show and that we interact with on a daily basis – they went crazy. They went nuts over this. Just what's it gonna what's it gonna be? Are these the real pictures? Is this just a teaser? Is this what it's gonna look like? Is what's gonna be in the product? And, and just all these questions. So it's cool that you were able to, you know, come on and, and kind of shed some light on and the background on that and, and how that how that's gonna play out and everything. And I think uh, I think people are gonna be very excited. I enjoy working on it. Like I said, it's, it's a challenge because of the photography, because you wanna use photography that doesn't show, you know empty right everywhere but it was fun to be able to go through every card and say okay let's make this blue ice let's make this black ice let's mm -hmm. put this guy in the crowd let's the the nickname what variations like not all nicknames like i said barat's gonna be own zones and then you'll have nicknames um super mario or uh mario jr for yager let's say or moose for messier is in there that's on the cell sheet i think actually so it'd be fun to have those nicknames on there and the photo variations um and they're all autographed but I just to try to get the photography has been a challenge, but we're working through that right now. And it's, I think it just looks great. You know, Hasek, the Dominator, the, some of the photography is kind of kind of cool. It, it actually the card pops on some of these cards when you take a player and keep him in color. But at everyone else in the background, black and white, that player pops. It's just a really yeah. cool effect. And so we did that inverted, too. We did it where the players in black and white, everything behind them is in color. And I want to just throw out really quick, I know you guys know this, but again, just for the listener's benefit, that was actually something that was done in the 91-92 Pro Set Platinum Hockey. Uh, sometimes they'd have an action shot, and you couldn't quite tell whose card it was, because you might have two guys battling for the puck, and right. there was no name and no logo on the front of the card other than the Pro Set Platinum logo, but there was no team logo. So you'd have two guys fighting for the puck, you don't know whose card it was, so what they would do is they'd make the player in color and then the other player and everyone, everything else would be in black and white. And I right. thought that was a really stylish thing to do at the time. It looks great. It, it, it really does. I mean, it, it again, it draws your attention. And it, it's, it's, it's one of those uh, techniques that has been around for a long time, but it yes. still works really well. And it, uh, I mean, it just seems really cool. It doesn't seem gimmicky. Right. And well, as, as the days go on, I'll share some, you know, on Twitter, probably some images of some of these cards like give people an idea of what, what, what to expect. So just tease some of the variations out there a little bit. You guys need to uh, unearth some of those uh, old airbrushing experts from Opeachy and Tops from back in the day, back oh, in the 70s. Man. Bring them in to kind of fix, <laughs> fix them Look up. back at some of those now, and they're <laughs> hilarious. But you know what? Back then when you were a kid, it's funny because that's one of the arguments I'll bring up to people is when they say, oh, you guys aren't licensed, there's no logo. I'm like, well, 
go look at some tops football from about 75 to 79. There are no logos. Yeah. It's just, I know, now, I know there was no competition back then, but there's no logos on those cards. Go look at the Earl Campbell's rookie or Walter Payton's rookie or any of these key rookies. Joe Montana, there's no logos on those cards. They just couldn't do it. So, you know, I get it. But, yeah, the, the airbrushing back then was it's pretty funny to see that them trying to match the colors and – like Reggie Jackson, I think, 77 card when he, the image is an Orioles image, but they they painted a Yankees helmet on him, and it's just hilarious. The only collection I have left in my life is most of my 70s complete Topps baseball sets. Well, that's a good collection to have. Love them. Well, Tim, do you have any final questions before we wrap it up? We could probably sit here and talk all night about various things, but uh, we should have Greg back on. I hope so. Let me know anytime, guys. Hockey goodness. Follow us on Twitter at PuckJunk.